Five scores! Rick Bod. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bod. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 114 of the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining him as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, not too bad, Mike's uh, slowly getting over the jet lag from uh, <laughs> Newfoundland and Sweden. And I'm, yeah. I'm almost there, I think. <laughs> well, you got a little more jet lag today. Aren't you going to Buffalo this evening for uh, an appearance? Yeah, but that's just a nice little uh, easy drive over, uh, probably about a half hour, and a uh, couple of periods of doing some visits to suites and all that kind of stuff and then head home <laughs> just another day in the life of uh, a traveling <laughs> former nhl player it's just life is good well yeah. speaking of life good squid we've got uh, like it's one of those ones the city's so nice they named her twice well this guy was so nice we had him <laughs> on twice terry ryan you heard part one last week and if you didn't listen to it folks Man, oh, man, he is a treat. I mean, this guy has done everything from stand-up comedy. He's now starring in the show Shorzy. He's been on a number of TV shows. He's worked with Ethan Hawke. Uh, he's worked with um, Jason Mamba, the uh, the big, uh, what's that guy? The big, Momoa. Uh, Momoa. Uh, Momoa. Momoa, yeah. He's the big, huge monster of a guy. He's worked with him in the movies. He's done everything played in the end it was eighth pick overall by montreal in 1995 draft minor league guy tough guy. He's got his own podcast i mean the stories are just endless from this guy aren't they and written two books oh, it's crazy and he played in the three games in newfoundland with us as well on our team and and i gotta tell you he wasn't that bad either he was pretty good he was quick and made some nice plays and uh, made a nice one to me that i scored on too so uh, but he is funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, and that's the first time you'd met him in Newfoundland, isn't it? Uh, I met him one other time in Newfoundland when we were there for, uh, I think it was during the Leafs camp one year, and we were playing an alumni game, and I met him in a bar. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> Shocker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a Newfoundlander in a bar. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a strip club, though. I, that 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 wow. shocked me that he that he was in a regular bar. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got a couple good stories about that. Uh, you know, especially the one where he uh, Frank Biolis, and uh, yeah. that's uh, oh god. I mean, it just never ends. And I mean, now you also, can't make that stuff up. No, and I mean, you know, he's one of these guys. Uh, you know, he probably probably had the whole bus laughing, I guess, as you guys were traveling around telling the stories, because he certainly likes the audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we didn't have a bus, but um, yeah, he, he, he is an incredibly funny guy and uh, not afraid to say anything. Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> well, on top of that, he's, he's a very nice guy. He's a really good guy. He's oh, very yeah. helpful for us. And, you know, we really enjoyed having him on. So, I mean, we had, he, he would have kept talking. Like we, we, we cut it off after two hours and then yeah. he was running out to do a, a, a movie piece that night. 
and he still kept talking to us and he would have kept going. We finally said, geez, Terry. And he says, well, I'll come back on you guys. So we're going to have him back yeah. on at some point. So Squid, anything further before we let everybody listen to part two, which I hopefully, which we hopefully everybody enjoys as much as part one, which was fantastic. Well, I just hope that a lot of people tune in and watch it because I mean, it's hard to say, but you will be entertained for an hour. Like, <laughs> Very, very entertained for an hour because this guy is hilarious. Yeah, and also, by the way, a pretty good athlete, as we've said. He also has been a world yeah. ball hockey champion for Canada, and he picked the game up and played it at a very high level, still plays, still works out like a fiend, so he really looks after himself. And as, uh, you know, repeating ourselves here, but just one of those guys you just love to sit down and have a beer with and, uh, you know, or a coffee and you talk for hours and hours and hours. So without further ado, Let's turn it back over to Terry and let's have a listen to part two. Hope you enjoy it, folks. <laughs> Talk about your time in Fredericton. Oh, boy. Here we yeah. go. I, I loved wearing the Habs crest wherever. It, it, you know, my, I guess, unfortunately, because I loved Fredericton, I loved the Habs organization. Um, Fredericton was actually a lot of fun for me because, you know, having played in the Western League, now all of a sudden, a lot of my friends are in Atlanta, Canada. A lot went to St. Thomas or University of New Brunswick. Yep. So I'm finally hanging out with my friends for the first time in close to a decade, right? Or I guess six years. Um, so that part was good. But, you know, it was just a weird relationship with Michelle Therrien. I was always the Western League and hockey brass, for the most part, appreciated my work ethic. Um, and I was always that guy in the room that I tread the line, but I knew when to party, when to shut it down, when to be loose, when to, you know, I, I prided myself in that. And I believe that's why they drafted me where they did, at least part of it. But Michelle Terry, and there was something about anybody who showed, I'm not going to say ego, but self-confidence or like celebrating after goals. I remember getting benched for that. Mixed messages. And I'd never dealt with anything. I, I'm not saying I dealt with it great, but I'll give you an example. One of my first meetings with Michelle, I call him Mike. But he called me in the room. It was like seven or eight games in to my AHL career. And I was getting a feel for it, but he wasn't playing me much, to be honest, especially not as their first-round pick that the year before. At 19, I was in Montreal almost the whole year. I only played four games. They wanted me to practice. but And then I went back to Red Deer, and I had two points a game. I set the goals record for three rounds. and like It just didn't make sense that he wouldn't play me. But now I know where he's going. So... You know, and he called me in, and he sat down, and I sat maybe 15 feet away. He was always, even his chair had to be like a couple of inches taller than yours. Everything, <laughs> everything was a mental game. Every single thing was a mental game. And I'd never run into that before. And there's nothing I could do that would, you know, I don't know, my coaches in junior, Rick Carrier, Bob Laux, Bob McCammon, Rick Kozabek. If I just, there was a way to do it. If I went out and had a bad game, if I showed them that I was a, good soldier that would you know rally the troops you know it would always turn out positive for me you know you try hard you give 100 percent. but with michelle it was different man he wanted to own part of your mind so he, he took me in and yeah he sits me about 15 feet away and i sat down and, and he just lit up a cigarette and i just looked at him and i was gonna i, I went to speak and then i thought i'll let him speak first and then after like two minutes, I realized he's not going to speak. So he just finished his smoke and he smoked it right down to the butt. He put it out, took a sip of his Coca-Cola and said, get the fuck out of my office. That was the only <laughs> word spoken. I, I laughed and I said, what just happened? I went in the room. 
And we had a lot of guys that he coached in Granby. Speaking of the Q, hadn't won it in like 20 years, but he was he yeah. was part of it. He won it. He was coaching Granby with some good players. But Francis Bouillon, Marc Bocage, Sylvain Blouin, they were all on my team there. So I came out. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. And they're like, no, no, that's the way he is. I'm going, this is a problem. If that's the way he is, I go, I can't guarantee you that some game I'm not going to come over and slash him in the fucking head. If I'm in a bad <laughs> mood and that guy's going to like, where, where, what do you mean that's the way he is? Can we get this out of the way? When is he going to stop being like this? And I can just not have anxiety when I go to bed. Right. But he didn't ever stop being like that. About two games later, he played me, played the shit out of me. Like I couldn't play enough. And I got a goal and three assists, man. I was like my first big game pro and I was pumped. I went in his office. He called my parents in front of me as if like this is put to bed. I had the best sleep I've ever had in the Montreal organization that night. The next game. We played Toronto. I didn't get one shift till 30 seconds left. He patted my back and said, go fight Jeff Ware. Not even, not, that's the words he used. Go fight Jeff Ware. Like, go sick him kind of thing. And Jeff Ware is, you know, he's a big guy. He went in my draft. You know, he wasn't the best fighter. I, I didn't really want to fight him, but I did. And then it was just, that was the beginning of, of, of a bad, bad relationship. I, I hated him and he hated me. And I just wanted out. And I, that year, guys, it's weird because when I when I say I didn't like Michelle Terrian, people think, well, he wasn't playing me. Like most people who don't like a coach, no. That year, I ended up having 21 goals. I was an all-star. I had 34 fights. I led the league, 256 penalty minutes. And I was it was just a long year. And, you know, if you I just conformed to whatever he wanted me to do, right? I just stopped complaining. And I stopped being myself, man. I stopped listening to music. And I was, I was this robot. I hated myself. And the next year I went back again and 55 games. I remember I had 40 odd points and I'm like, at some point I got to make Montreal or get the fuck, get rid of me. You know, I just, I hate my life with this guy. And uh, I, I wish I'd gone in and spoken to him though, because he assumed a lot and I see why, you know, I, I was, I was, I, I never, no one else would tell you I was a bad attitude or a bad teammate. There was definitely a language barrier with Michelle and he pushed my buttons so much that I just probably wasn't the best version of myself. I was always on the defensive. I never once went in and said, look, Michelle, stop playing the game here. What do you want me to do? What can I? And if I was, because I know he's not, that wasn't him either. I know it wasn't. Like, Michelle, really, a few times that I did talk to him on a level that had nothing to do with hockey, I could tell that a lot of that was an act. He was It was tactics to get people going. And I wish that I'd got to know him as a real person because I think deep down in there, there was a lot of common ground with me and him, but yeah, he was a rookie coach. I was a rookie player. We were both fucking stubborn. And unfortunately I ended up saying, you know what? Fuck this. I called Reggie Hall and I said, and I, on top of that, I'm watching guys that I'm playing with there get traded and be well, not only do well, be stars, Craig Conroy, Darcy Tucker, right? They're on my team. They get traded and they turn into blue, like right away stars. And I'm going Jim Campbell, Valerie Bure. Oh, God, Brad Brown, you know, Asham in the end, Matt Higgins. It was just like, when can this end? And so I didn't go back to camp. I should have. They had a record number of injuries, and, uh, you know, I ended up with egg in my face. But life has a weird way of working itself out. It took me a while to get over that. But, you know, in the end, I forgive Michelle Terry, and I should have handled it a bit better. And I'm extremely proud to have worn that jersey. I just think we both, both sides were a little stubborn because I know I would have been at least a player that the fans embraced. and. I just don't see not being at least good enough to be on the fourth line. And, you know, the way I play, I would have, I would have put the play. You know, I, I would have 
I, I just would have played with a lot of passion. But, you know, I also played recklessly, and I might not be sitting here talking to you with a clean head on my shoulders. Who knows? And I'm, <laughs> I'm in a happy place. So, Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, Terrian because I was coaching in St. John, obviously Calgary's farm team. Yeah. And that's when they come in with that stupid rule that you dress 16 and 2, or if the coaches agree, you can dress 17 or 18. Yeah. Well, every time we played Fredericton, we meet in the hallway and I'd say, cause my boss would give me shit for not playing the young guys. And he, I said, uh, can we dress 18 and two? And every time he said, no, I, I don't, I just have 16. And I'd see about eight or nine guys in the stands with suits on. And uh, I think it was about the third time we had met in the hallway. And I said, you are such an asshole. And he goes, what? And he wanted to fight me in the hallway. And yeah, I'm like, I totally see that. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you here in the hallway. I said, if you want to dress 16, fine, whatever. I don't give a shit. I said, but stop yeah. being an asshole about it. Like, you got extra guys. I see them in the stands. My boss is on my ass, so let us, let's dress 18 and 2. But he never did because we had more depth than, than they did. And it was all, everything, everything was yeah. a mental game. Everything yeah. was a mental game, man. It was such, it was so taxing. And to be honest, that was my last game in the Montreal organization. It was against you guys. And you had a guy, a defenseman, Eric Sharon. Yeah. Eric had a kidney problem and he'd missed like 40 games, 30 or 40 games. And he came back in this particular game in the playoffs and the place was full and most of it there to see Eric play again. And he was a world junior guy that I'd look up to. He was a few years older than me. And I really looked up to him as a player and Mike, that night uh told me again he didn't he, he didn't hint at it he said you fight sharon and take the wind out of their sails and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna be public enemy number one i don't want to be i'm not that guy i'm like <laughs> first of all i hated anybody telling me anyway when to do it i know when to fight now if eric runs the goalie i'll fight if if it's four to three for them with a minute left i'll fight rocky thompson i don't care mike it's not that but you're asking me to be a fucking asshole. You're asking me to be ignorant, and you might be. And I do think he used to smoke on the bus. He'd have five smokes on the way down to St. John. I'm not kidding you. From Freddie, wasn't an hour. Uh, <laughs> Mike had a, had a knack for being fucking ignorant, and I, I think maybe he grew up. But I couldn't stand that, and that's it. I came off after I did that. I'll never forget this. It's as vivid as it happened yesterday. I took off all my gear. I threw it all over the room. They say never to let your jersey hit the ground. I took my jersey and threw it on the ground, and I walked over it. And it was so bittersweet because I loved the Montreal Canadiens. It was just me lashing out. I had no one to lash out against. I hated them. Why didn't I tell the GM? It was a different world, man. I don't know. I hinted at it. We all said we, we all hated them. And I was like, how does he go up and have, like, meetings with the GMs up there or, or with Brett and come back and them not hate him? Like, is he – is this an – like – he is an asshole. Like, this is wild. <laughs> but he did have a knack for winning. And to be honest, he wasn't a really bad coach at all. Like, he did know his X's and O's. Like, he didn't have to act like such an asshole. I honestly think it was a, a man being insecure. And, you know, obviously, he must have grown as a person. He coached other NHL teams, although I've heard some stories. But I don't want to be sit here basically and say, you know, he's the reason that my fate turned out lesser than, you know, I, I should have played longer and everything. Probably part of it, but, you know, I certainly should have spoken to him and, you know, tried to solve the situation. I could have told Rajan without ratting him out. I could have said, look, 
Mr. Hall, I, I really don't like Michelle. At least loan me out somewhere. And, you know, it was just there was no communication. I was their first round pick. And I went months often without talking to them. And um, I remember with the one time I did have a meeting with Mr. Hool, who honestly I saw just three weeks ago at an alumni. I've no, he was the GM when I was there. He didn't have confidence in me. He didn't play me. Fair enough. Shit happens. Opinions are opinions. I thought Michelle Therrien was a dick. But at the time, yeah, and I remember Reggie saying, well, you know, I said, why did you guys pick me in the first round, man? And he said, well, I didn't. Uh, Jacques Demers and Serge Savard did. He goes, I'm not sure I would have. Uh, you know, you're, you're not the best skater. And I was like, okay, at least he was being honest. But I, I just wish he'd maybe traded me sooner. But I had nothing against Rajon Hull. I mean, I wasn't the best skater. I wish they had. I know that if everybody didn't get fired, I probably would have gotten a, a better chance. But, you know, I, I ended up, I got nothing bad to say about Rajon Hull. Or Alan Vigneault. He was the coach up top when I was there. He seemed like a nice guy, seemed to know what he was doing. Classy. They were both real classy and professional to me. You know, I just had a real problem living my day-to-day life with a fucking ignorant prick. Well, I was just going to say to you, Terry, and you just you just took the words out of my mouth. In your defense, Serge Savard drafted you, and, you know, six months later, he's gone, and you, Rajon Hul, inherited you. You see, yeah. you're not his guy. Yeah. So I was going to say, would it be fair to say that was a bit of a setback for you right away? admit that it was because he wasn't one of your biggest fans. It was, you know, I, I think it's going to sound boastful when I say this, but I had to really try not to have more games in the NHL. Like it was wild how it all went down. Like the whole league wanted to give me a chance. If I was known for anything, it was at least playing hard and, you know, going out there and doing something. And everybody knew that. And even Montreal knew it. And as much as Reggie, who will, uh, you know, might not have thought I was the best skater. He he knew that much. I mean, they offer me the contract, right? It's not let they let me go. I said this to Rajon. He said this, but he said, I still want you as our main guy in Quebec. You're going to be our main call-up. They ended up having a record number of injuries that year. I would have gotten up. He said, no, like, it's not like he didn't like me as a person. It's not like, you know, they didn't, they, they offered me the qualifying, I think it was they had to offer me 10 or 15% more, and they did. So, it wasn't this all bad. I was just, honestly, my mind was so warped from Michelle Therrien. And I just knew what a bunch of other teams thought. And I knew that I would get a chance immediately. I was just like, you know, I, I didn't see the forest through the trees. That's for sure. And I just wanted out as soon as I could get there. I Well, well Terry, let me interrupt you there in that one. Now, speaking of seeing the forest through the trees, seeing another thing, um, and this can only happen in hockey, Strip clubs and hockey players, while well, athletes in general, you could say, seem to be synonymous more with one another. But yeah. you, once again, you seem to be sending around a lot of these great stories. <laughs> you had a strange encounter with a dancer one evening that led to a, an encounter on the ice with a tough guy the next night. Oh, um, so Frank Oales. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if there, there's, there's there's probably more than stories one. that. And the funny thing is, I'm not saying this to try to seem holier than thou or anything else montreal is known for its strip clubs but i would always again when i was there in montreal i was low into the totem pole i was a young guy it was much more beneficial for me to go to crescent street to thursdays or sir winston's because yeah, yeah there's strippers but i mean you know you're going to pay them lots of money i mean indirectly and you know you're going to wait all night they get off at like three in the morning 
I want to go to Thursdays and just, you know, within minutes, someone's going to ask me where I'm from. Oh, I'm here playing for the Montreal Canadiens. I used to carry hockey cards in my pocket. You know, I was just so happy. <laughs> so my, you know, Crescent Street's like George Street in St. John's. So I was much more of a pub, maybe, you know, rock and roll dance kind of place. But of course, playing pro hockey, you're going to find yourself in strip clubs here and there. So we were playing... It was my second year in Fredericton, and we were uh, playing against the Philadelphia Phantoms, who had a just legendary American League tough guy team. Um, they had Jesse Boularis, they had Francis Belanger, Francis Lassard, oh God, Steve McLaren, and uh, Frank Bialois. Now that's just five that I can name just off the top of my head of guys that were like legit three hundred penalty minute guys. Yeah. So, and Bialois. I knew who he was, obviously, because he was already a legend, Frank the Animal by Lois. And Frank played here in St. John's with the Maple Leafs. Mm -hmm. So yes. I had watched him destroy people. Him and Ryan Vandenbush, I thought, like, there's nobody tougher. You know, I was watching them when I was 13, 14, 15, um, when they first came to St. John's. I had a real respect. But by Lois was also known to be a nut. I mean, uh, I mean that in a good way, but, like, he was here. More than once, he went to the strip club on, like, male dancer night and stripped. So he was playing on the St. John Maple Leaf and side, uh, uh, side work as a stripper across the street at the Cotton Club. I don't mind saying that. It's public knowledge. I'm sure he'd tell you himself. So, but when we went in to play Philly, it was great because Brian Boucher, who I just mentioned, and, and by this point, Damon Lankow was traded from Tampa to Philadelphia Flyers. So... They were in Philly, so we went out. We we went out together. We had a bite, and everybody was going to this strip club in Philly. I can't remember. Both teams hung out there, so I went there with the boys, and we had a few drinks. A girl comes over, and Bush is like, "Yeah, I'll get you a drink. I'll get you a lap dance." Again, I don't even want the lap dance. I don't even want to be teased. If I want the lap dance, and I'm going to bring myself to that level, let's go over to the club across the street so I can maybe pull something home. Like really, I'm not in the lap dances, especially not at that time. But I'm like, okay, so. Go through the lap dance. This girl obviously is really sexy. Now I'm like, I'm halfway there. So I'm really hitting on her. And she, she says, well, why are you in town? I'm like, well, I'm a hockey player. She goes, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with a hockey player. I go, well, what do you mean kind of? She goes, well, I'm, I'm seeing a hockey player. I'm like, okay. I'm, I play like pro hockey, though. You know, and she goes, yeah, he plays pro as well. I'm like, whoa, okay. Well, who would that be? I'm like, pro meaning like. NHL, AHL, right? Like, I'm not talking beer league shit. And she goes, no, no. My uh, boyfriend, he plays in the American Hockey League. And I'm like, oh, fuck, great. I got to play him tomorrow night. Like, <laughs> Who's this? Tell me it's Andy Delmore or something. Not, you know, just tell me it's somebody that's not one of the five names I mentioned. And uh, she says, it's Frank the Animal by Lois. I'm like, oh, fuck, get off my lap. Get off my lap. Let's get the fuck out of here. I, I'm, I'm literally worried. I go over to the guys. I'm worried. I'm like, why did we come here in the first place? Boosh is fucking laughing. And I'm going, you know, and he goes, no, nah, no one's ever going to find out. I'm like, well, if they do, it's on you. Meanwhile, what's the difference? They're both on the flyers. They don't ever have to see Frank Bialos if they don't want. And I'm sure that they kind of know that it's a joke. So, but anyway, we go there the next. So the next day is our first game against Philly. I'm back as my second year, and the players actually voted me captain. Tarion took that away after that one game. But anyway, the players voted me captain, which was a nice feeling. So when I'm skating around and warm up, 
Frank is standing on the red line, peering into our end. He's got no tape on either end of his stick. He's just <laughs> race, he's resting his chin on the end of his stick. And I'm going, Fuck. <laughs> and I'm looking around. And I realize when I get out like to the red line and he's standing like exactly like one foot over, like making that and no one's going to go. No one's going to do anything. And he's just and I realize he's looking at me and I'm going, fuck, he doesn't say a word, but I can't stand the anxiety. So, again, I think this one's on YouTube as well. I just I kind of went after him, if you can believe it. I, I just wanted it out of the way. So and I knew he was coming after me. So the, the, the puck drops, whatever it was, the first or second shift of the game, the way I remember and he's got, I just, I went right at him. I hit him and I looked him in the eyes. Anyway, we dropped our gloves and we fought right in front of their bench. And it's all right. For, for Frank Bialois, it's okay. I, I, I put in, it was one of those, okay, guys, I fought him kind of thing, right? But he hit me. It looked good, but I rem- like he was hitting me way harder than I was hitting him. <laughs> right? He was rocking me. So anyway, we went over to the penalty box and he doesn't say shit. And for like maybe five or six minutes, I'm kind of nervous anyway. I look over. And I don't even know if I should bring it up. Anyway, the minute I open my mouth, he looks over and he starts laughing. He's like, fuck, that's no big deal. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know if you were like serious with her or whatever. He goes, it wouldn't fucking matter anyway. And he starts talking. He goes off and he goes, you know, it's harder and harder for a guy like me to find a fight nowadays. And he goes, uh, thanks a lot. He goes, if you want to do it again, I'm always around. I'm like, if I want to do it again, what fucking world do I want to do that again? That's not my bucket list. I can always say I fraught Frank the Animal by a Lois. That's over. But anyway, it ended up being not a big deal. And what's funny is that I hadn't talked to him forever. And a buddy of mine I played with in Utah came to visit Newfoundland last October, Stu Malgunas. And Stewie got him on the phone, and we told this story. And it was great. We had a laugh about it, and it happened. It would have happened 20 years before that. that is great. Animal, actually, he's a lot smarter and saner than people think it's just the the name and i mean i know he's a wild man but he's actually pretty articulate the the guy after i spoke to him for a while i heard some stories uh, he's pretty impressive now speaking of impressive is it true that you tried to drink 36 beers in an hour once no trying to become the weight box of hockey jose theodore uh, couldn't remember the way that story went so he did he started that ball going in another direction. This is what happened. It was Patty's day, and um, Roman Vopat had played with the. Uh, it's for whatever reason. My first year in Freddie, we split. It was L.A. slash Montreal. So Montreal had ten prospects on Fredericton and L.A. L.A. of all teams. Why they would use Fredericton? Yeah. You know, other side of the world. You know, yeah. as their main affiliate. I don't know, but so Roman Vopat got sent down, and he said that. One of the vets in L.A., they had, you know, an all-star break or whatever, had, you know, made him a bet that he couldn't drink 24 beer in eight hours. <laughs> eight. And I was like, I heard that. I said, is there any catch? He goes, well, you can't eat. And they have to be full full beer, not light beer. But oh. I go, is there anything else? Like pints? Like, you know, just 24 beer. I go, that's three beer an hour. I'm pretty sure I can handle that. So we were in the room. And so this was this was Patty's day. And well, it was going to be Patty's day. So it was the day before Patty's day. And so I'm like, well, I'll do it. And people are actually putting money in like guys on the team. And they're like, well, you know, the over under is at like fucking 18. I go, guys, it's three beer an hour. 
Like, well, I'm going to want to drink more than that. It's Patty's Day, right? We're going out to home. <laughs> so I go, if the whole team goes out, I go, you you guys will notice we're all going to drink that much. So, you know, that's nothing. So we went there. So I'm on track now. I'm on track to smash it. I have, like, like first of all, I'm drinking bottles for, like, the first eight. And then I realize, I go, folks, this had to be pints. Like, this is a joke. I'm going to be done right away. So we changed it halfway through the pints. Still, I'm going, joke, and I'm I'm almost done. And we we <laughs> remember how greasy we were. It was packed. Dolan's in Fredericton is still there, and we put our we used to put the table that we sat at right over next to the women's washroom because in that way we said we'll 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 eventually see every woman in the, in the bar. We have to. There's only one bathroom. It's crowded here, but we will have to see all the scenery at some point. So. I remember and I was coming up on five hours and I was smashing it. I was like, I was at like 23 beers. I was like exactly what I thought. Now I was getting a bit again, eight hours is the, is the bet. It's five hours. <laughs> so now I start doing shooters. I'm like, okay, oh, I start getting cocky, right? The boys are ordering tequila or whatever. Boom. So I, now I'm starting to get a real, real big time liquor buzz on as well. I'm cocky and I order, the, all I really remember is ordering the final pint, okay? And it sucks because I really did really sm nearly smash the record. Well, I did smash it, but I don't remember the last part. I'll tell you why. So, <laughs> and I got friends there again, too, right? This is this is my buddies from Newfoundland. A lot of them are there going to school. A lot of them even that go to St. Mary's and Dalhousie in, in Halifax have come down. So I've got a huge crowd there. And it's March 17th, Patty's Day. We know that we have the 18th off. We have nothing... For sure, we know that. Terry's already given this a day off. So, lucky thing, man. I get so shit-faced. Josh Green comes outside. Like, where's T-Bone gone? No one knows. Comes outside. I've got my dick in my hand. In a, you know, I fell ahead into a snowbank. So, <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I'm holding my dick. And I fell. Like, I'm, I'm kind of falling asleep. I don't mean, like, straight down on the ground. But the snowbank's so high that I'm, like, I don't know. I'm at like maybe 90 degrees. I'm at like a 75 degree angle, just up against the snow. And Josh shakes me. He's like, Jesus Christ, dude, we got to get you some food and get you home. So I don't remember any of this now. He says I ate half a pizza. I don't remember that. Went home. I lived with Brad Brown and Earl Cronin. And the, I wake up in the morning. It's the only time I ever remember this, but I'm full of piss. The phone's ringing. And I've pissed myself, obviously, multiple times. <laughs> and I look down, and there's puke all the way to the door. And I'm like, fuck. But I live with Earl Cronin and Brad Brown. Like, why wouldn't they wake me up? The phone's ringing. The phone's ringing. I answer it. It's fucking um, Chris Schmidt. Boyd Olson. It's Boyd Olson. Boyd Olson says, T-Bone, you got to get to the rink. Everybody here, if you don't make practice, Tarion is going to lose his buck. And I'm going, what do you mean practice? What are you talking about? We don't have practice. He goes, he called one. You didn't get the fucking message? How would I get the message? How would I get the message, man? Unless you guys And why did Earl and Brad leave without bringing me? So I got piss all over me. I just, and I still got my boots and everything on though. So I get up, I go to, I open my bedroom door and there's puke all the way to the front. I'm like, holy shit. I get out. My car is still at Dolan's. I knock on the neighbor's door, only for that they're huge Habs fans. I tell them the story. I've literally got piss on me. They lend me the car. So I go to the fucking practice. I get in. I wheel in at like 8 minutes to 11. 
everybody cheers when I get in because now I got to get my gear on and Tyrion's just sitting there. He's sitting there with his whistle looking at me in the room with his arms folded. And I go, I put my shit on. I can't see straight. I can't see straight. But I get onto the ice. Fucking 11 o'clock on the button. I get onto the ice. Guys are fucking pumped and they're they're happy too because they want me to beat this motherfucker. They don't want to. They hate the Tyrion call practice. But me like getting there is they know is fucking bothering them. So I'm there and he says, okay. And he calls he starts skating us doing wallies and as we're doing them like you know one to ten and one to twenty and back down as we're doing them we got to jump and hit the boards and we're just going and someone knocks the glass out like the rink attendants pissed off and we're like what are you doing like you told us there was no practice we've done nothing it's not like i'm out of shape it's not like i had any problem with this i did what i did and he found out about it and the whole team's getting punished because i took a bet and i got drunk i'm like it could be worse man i could you know what i mean I could have gotten drunk and fucking fought the bartender. I could have got drunk and hit on your wife. I could have got drunk and done a lot of things. I got drunk with my friends on Patty's Day, you fuck. So anyway, then he calls. The only time I've ever seen it, he brings pucks out for one drill, and it's to um, shot blocking. So he's he's making us practice shot blocking. This is smart from a fucking <laughs> minor league coach. You know what I mean? I take one off the ankle, and then I'm out for three months, you idiot. But anyway... That's it. We sit there, and he takes us through shot blocking, and he skates us hard for two hours. And all I'm yelling the whole time is, give me more. Give me more. I'm not giving in. And everybody knows there's nothing I can say. Guys aren't even mad at me because he's going to do it anyway. And what his goal is to make the whole team skate is something that I did, even though I didn't really break a rule. But that was him. Knowing that one of the players went out and had a bit of a good time and has a story that might trump one of his stupid fucking junior stories the next day, that pissed him off. Anyway, <laughs> that's what happened. That's a that is a, that's a classic. I would say twenty-four beers and about six or seven drinks, and whatever shots in five hours and fifteen minutes. That's the story. That's pretty good. That that's yeah. that's more like it. Well, how did the um, ball hockey come along? Ball did hockey was a godsend from George Gortzos, who was a Team Canada coach. I grew up playing a little bit, and there's like. There's ball hockey, and then there's these like sanctioned CBHA, Canadian Ball Hockey Association, right? They, you have your provincials and your nationals yeah. and your world championships. But to be honest with you, what ended up happening to me hockey-wise, people think it was concussions or that I just kind of faded off into the sunset. But no, injuries. I ended up, injuries, I did right? yeah, injuries. I went to Dallas, I, and I chose Dallas because of those good draft interviews. Even though this was, would have been four or five years later, but it was like the second inter-squad game. I busted my ankle. It was a high ankle sprain, and I never really got over it. I went to their minor league team in, in Boise and played 30 games and then Cincinnati and Orlando. And it was just something to do with the skate. My skate, like when your skate as a high ankle sprain is like, you don't have any mobility. It, it was just shooting pain up my leg. Cause I couldn't really, if I didn't do up the top two rungs, it wouldn't hurt. But now my, now my foot's but now I got to change my skating style. So, and I wasn't a good enough skater to overcome that. I could still play, but I, I really mean that I, with no disrespect to myself or, I'm not trying to qualify what Reggie said first, but I think I was a good enough skater, all healthy, to play in the NHL. But once I had to work around that, I couldn't come out of my own zone. Problem was taking a pass as a winger, and then, you know, I, I couldn't get out of the way of the defenseman like that would come down and hit me on the wall, uh, which led to a lot of problems getting the puck out and injury-wise. So, um, but I could run fine. So I came back and I I played one of the national tournaments with Newfoundland. I was. At this point, to be honest, I was a little bit overweight. I was kind of tripping over my bottom lip. 
it wasn't so much that I wasn't going to play in the NHL anymore. It was just I couldn't even travel and play. I couldn't play pro. And I love that free travel of more than anything. And it just really bothered me. But then the coach, George Gortzos, man, he called me afterwards. And he took me over in 2003 to Sierra Switzerland and told me about the world championships. And we played. And it was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, wow. You know, I played a bit of ball hockey, but I was an ice hockey player. And I really needed to learn, like, you don't just go over and make Team Canada, right? People think that that might be the case, but there's a lot to learn about the bounces, about the culture of the game, about the, and I don't mean the culture away from it. I mean on the ice, the rules. And for I, I remember we were in the championship game. I did not deserve to be on that team in 2003. Uh, and I remember we played the Czech, and it was 3-1, to one, and about five minutes left in the game. And I just I, – I just, it was 2-1, to one and we scored an empty netter, and I just – remember breathing. I, I was about to win a world championship, man. I was so, yeah, I was so elated, elated. And I, I, so many emotions came and I started crying on the bench and then Gord, I didn't have a shift yet. And, and Gord so hits me and he goes, Terry, you're up. And I ran so hard, man. I came off. I celebrated <laughs> with that trophy more than anybody on the team that night, man. I was so fucking happy. And he came to me afterwards and he goes, I said, George, I didn't deserve to be here, man. After what I went through in hockey, I really appreciate it. And he said, well, I'll tell you this. You're not here for 2003. He said, I followed your career and you're a bit of a renegade. And I'm not sure the Montreal Canadiens realize that you need your, but he goes, if I give you your leash, I don't think you're going to embarrass me. And he really did. And he goes, I got confidence in you. And the world championships is every two years. By 2005, I went back. I was in the best shape I've ever been in. I, I, I finished the beep test. I was one of only two people. The other being Sandra Morello, a marathon runner that finished it. I had a completely new lease on life. And to me, now I was a ball hockey player. And 05, we won it again. And 07, I was an all-star. We fucking won it again. They didn't win it again till this year or last year, 2022. That's how long they went. And now I play on the Masters team. I'm playing again in August, the World World Masters over 34. And I just, I owe everything. It was such a rejuvenation to me. It got me to realize that just everything isn't the NHL and the Stanley Cup. I played for two Allen Cups. I've been playing senior hockey ever since. This is my first year off. And since, I remember I was going to quit sports, man. That was 2002. It would have been so ridiculous because between 2003 and now, I've got three ball hockey world championships. I'm in the fucking Hall of Fame. It nearly makes me cry when I say that because I nearly quit. Um, I got a, a, a Herder championship in Mount Pearl or in, in, in Newfoundland here, which is a coveted trophy. Well, don't uh, forget about the Chicklets Cup. That's yeah, the big right? <laughs> yeah. that. That would never would have happened. Shorzy would never have happened because I still wouldn't be playing senior hockey. And I went, and in my mind, hockey still became number one. And I had to have the right family around me to let that happen. I had to have the right jobs. Everything fell in and came into its own. And to, in the end, when I look back on it, I know it's not as popular, but I'm so proud and i consider myself a ball hockey player first and foremost that's what led to just a different lease on life i put it this way i don't even look at it as ball hockey and ice hockey i consider myself a hockey player and both worlds to me were equally as beneficial even though ball hockey i know isn't as popular worldwide it's almost a reason that it was because when you go to those things man and people have to give up their time and you don't get paid a lot the tournament's paid for i suppose and you go there and, and you get treated well as member of Team Canada. But guys that go to that want to win, man, and they want to be there and wearing that crest. 
is so important. And I got to do that. I thought those days were over when I when I couldn't put on the Montreal Canadian crest anymore. And here I am now today still playing sports to some degree. And I do get to wear the crest, man. I get to go on these alumni things like we just went on and play with some great players. And, you know, I didn't play the longest, but I have some great stories and to get to share them with like Rick Five and, and Wendell Clark and uh, Ally Afraidy and down the list, it's it just proves to me that it, hockey fraternity is, you know, it's all encompassing. And all of those little stories led me to where I am. I have a great daughter. I have a great situation. I'm now involved in, uh, you know, acting and writing and things that I always wanted to pursue. That I well, wanted to take have. us through that, like the Shorzy and, you know, Letter Kenny and, uh, you know, your career. Not, I know we're, we've, we've taken a lot of your time, uh, Terry, but and we oh, really right. appreciate it. But, man, we could talk to you forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a long story. So, um, and, you know, if you guys ever want me to come back, I will. But, um, yeah, it, you know, I wouldn't know where to begin with all with it all. A lot of people think, you know, hey, they give me a pat on the back and say, hey, you, you, you like to try a lot of things. It's really commendable. But honestly, guys, it was like survival of the fittest. I had no, I, uh, I went back to school. I had some school money to work with. And... I didn't really know it. Part of it was in my contract in Montreal and senior hockey paid for a lot of it. Uh, meaning I had an opportunity in 2009 to go get a free degree and I didn't know what it was going to be, but I, I just ended up coming out of it with uh hold on, I'm going to turn on the light. One sec. Um, I, I went into school not knowing what I was going to do and um, came out with a, with a folklore and English degree. I was going to go out and be a teacher like my father but it would have required another year of schooling. And I, yeah. I knew Alan Hawko, who was the lead actor and writer and producer on Republic of Doyle, which was a Canadian yeah. hit, hit yeah, TV I show. That. Yep, you know yeah, there you go. So the lead actor, he's my good buddy. And I literally, he picked me up. He used to go to this tournament every year in Toronto called the Summit of Arts, Exclaim Cup. And it's for um, members of the arts community, film, music, whatever it might be. Um, so you meet a lot of people there involved in the industry. And he really picked me. He gave me a few days on set as a background guy, as a joke, and took me to the tournament. And we had a good time. And then I remember, you know, having a problem getting jobs with a folklore degree. We were going to be a librarian. Really, not much unless you want to do something else, man. So I remember saying that to him. So Hawk said, you know, I can give you a job. He goes, it's going to be a lot of taking orders, though, and, like, jump how high. Director making him coffee or her, whatever it might be. But you're not going to be Terry Ryan on set. You're going to be like, you know, give me what I want fucking now. And I said, <laughs> bring it on. It was decent money. And I did. I had to swallow my pride a bit, man. I went on. I Guys, I took that job. It was locations. There's product. It, it's probably, I mean, any job on a film set's exciting. I never want to put it down. And I still take jobs, locations, the odd day when they need help. But, it, you know, it's bottom of the barrel. It's get in there first. It's work 15 to 18 hours. It's a little less pay than everybody else. Um, it's a different union. It's just a different, and it's, you know, a lot of just parking cars in the morning. Uh, I don't know, like cleaning the bathroom. Like it, it's not glamorous, man. It's far away from the camera. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just met people coming through, some stunt people, and I got in a couple of episodes as Republic of Doyle on background, then I did a couple of stunts, a couple of things. They did, right? I mean, We've got studios here and everything, and that was one of the first major shows to hit, with the first that I know of to hit Newfoundland like that, that big. 
Um, but again, it's probably cheaper to have me do a stunt than fly somebody in from Toronto to do it. So a couple of easy stuff. But that goes in as acting credits, right? So when the show Frontier came here, which is the same people, so that was 2000. Their show was, I think, 2010 or 11 to 2014 or 15. And the next thing that that group did, Take the Shop Productions, was a show called Frontier. And Jason Momoa was set to star in that and is shot here in Newfoundland. It's a lot loosely based on loosely the trade slash fur trade in the late 1700s with a lot of the British redcoats that came over here and the indigenous people that were already here. And, you know, that's loosely, loosely kind of the time and the setting. Um, but anyway, so they shot most of it here in St. John's. And Momoa came over and luckily enough had read my book. And the very, very first scene in Frontier, the very first scene, which ended up being the teaser for the show, is they needed somebody, a British soldier, to look really beaten up and beg for his life. And I remember, that I'm not trying to name drop, but for two months that summer, I'd worked on a show called Maudie with Ethan Hawke. Again, mm -hmm. I was production assistant. But Ethan, I gave him my book. He read it. Ethan used to go to games in Montreal with Kiefer Sutherland. And we'd hung out at the same place, yeah. Bonanote, a place that all the hockey players used to go to on St. Laurent. Again, I didn't play much at 19, but I was there the whole year. So I remember going there a bunch of times. So Ethan, I could relate, you know? Yeah. So he kind of got me in. He, he kind of, I said, you know, what am I going to do? He said, well, you got two acting credits. Why don't you go in for an audition? And it seemed ludicrous, but he made a call. I made a call. We went out drinking at a few beers. I knew Hako. So I don't even think I was really technically supposed to get the audition the way the union works, but uh, they gave me a chance. So I went in and to be honest, I auditioned for a British cook and I sucked. Except that I was brought <laughs> over. I, I did. I was horrible. But I was in the room, and it was Danielle Irvine, who's head of casting here, and a camera, and a guy, Paul uh, Wilson. And Paul was kind of reading by my lines, and Danielle was there as the casting director. But the camera was going straight back to Hollywood, which I didn't know. And I didn't know that they were seeing it. But what happened was I did it, and then I took out my tooth to have a sip of coffee. And between Danielle and the director and Jason, they figured, you know, Remember, the, again, I didn't know the camera was even. And she said, what, are you Terry Allen's friend, like the hockey player? And that's when Aaron, so the yeah. director, if you can believe this, Rick, if you can believe this, I'm talking to a director in Hollywood who happens to be from Gander, Newfoundland. That week was big news because I was playing for the Gander Flyers and I got my buddy Aaron Asham, who had been in the Stanley Cup final the year before, into play. He'd re just retired into play for Gander. So... Between the jigs and reels, he inquires, you know, Aaron Ashton was playing out in, in, in Ghana. I said, yeah, I got him there. And then they're like, what? And then I guess Momoa found out that I was a hockey player, loves the sport. I ended up showing him how to play. So Danielle Irvine calls me the next day. said, come out here. They got an idea for you. So I go to her house, the casting director, which, again, is really weird to go to someone's house. But she goes, if you can just show me that you can cry on camera right now, you're begging for your life. Just do the best you can do. There's a chance you're going to be in the teaser for Frontier. Again, I'm like, what? Like, this is insane. It was a bucket list thing. But I'm like, <laughs> and then, she, you know, Momoa's a hockey player and everything. So turns out I go out, I do my best, and I get it. I get it. I get it, okay? So now I come to do this first scene of the show. I haven't met Momoa yet. I just know who he is, and he knows who I am, but I haven't met him. And again, it's the very, very first scene. So picture this. There's three cameras. Camera A, A, B, and C are looking at me. Okay. 
I am standing with my, again, it's the very first scene, Frontiers on Netflix, for those of you who want to see it. My hands are behind my back. They've captured me. That's the scene, right? And it helps that I got no tooth, right? That's, that's a big part of it, is that this guy got to look beat up. And A, Terry, it's hard to re reproduce that look, you know, and, and B, he's right here in Newfoundland. Why fly somebody in? Let's give him a credit. I only needed one more credit. That ended up being it to get in the union. He needs three, a combination of three. But one of them has to be talking on camera. All I had to do was say, please have mercy, but I got words. So I pull in. Behind the camera is all the crew. And half of them, more than half, I've been working with now at this point for five years. And they know me as locations. They know me as jump how high. They know me as what the fuck is Terry doing acting, right? So they're kind of cheering. They're like, well, one of us. You know, this is fucking great, T-Bone. You know, I'm coming in. I get my shit out. I'm like, I can't believe this. So I'm pumped. The camera's pointing at me. There's three TPs in the background. You'll see when you watch the scene. And a couple of fires are going. It's a very dimly lit kind of, what's the word? There's ambiance, but it's almost this feeling of, yeah, a feeling of death. Everybody knows he's going to kill me. So they're like, okay, rehearsal. And I'm sitting there and I'm still waiting to meet Jason Momoa. I can hear him walking around on the rocks behind me. And I've got this, <laughs> the scene calls for him to slip my throat. And I thought, honestly, it was going to be like a fake knife. No, they put a, a, a prosthetic kind of neck under mine. Like, oh, with, with like a, it like the best way I can describe it, a Mr. Freezy kind of thing filled with fake blood right yeah. inside of it. But Jason had to be accurate. Like, if Jason misses by three inches, he's hitting my skin. And it is a knife. It's his own knife. So, but I'm glad because I kind of had to be scared. So what happens is that I sit down to do it, and the two people next to me are actual actors. So I can't believe I've even gotten the role. And as I'm talking to them, I'm like, wow, like, this is a huge favor. i got to pull it up. But, but it also sets the tone for the entire show. And there's an irony there that I'm not an actor, and I have to really look like I'm begging for my life. So the director, Brad Payton, the guy from Gander, he's like, okay, everybody shut the fuck up because, you know, there's a bit of a murmur. And, and, and he's like, this, this is an emotional scene. We're, we, we love that we're cheering for Terry. Let's, let's do it in the lunchroom later, right? So I'm sitting there, and now I'm looking up, and I just can't get over it, and I'm laughing. And Whit, Momoa comes up behind me. Again, I still haven't seen him, but... It's rehearsal, and it's all silent. All you can hear is the cackling of the fire, and he comes up. So his line to me, I can't remember what it was. It was just one line. Well, you should have known that before you, whatever. You should have known. Your time has come or something. It's something, and then he slits my throat. So he comes up first, and the director calls cut because I'm not serious enough. And Momoa goes, sorry about that. My knife hit you in the back on the way down. I said, I thought, I thought you were just happy to see me. <laughs> and I still haven't met him. So he looks and I look up and it's Jason Momoa there. And, the, and he laughs. <laughs> and the director goes, cut, Brad Payton. And he comes down and he gets in my ear. He's like, Terry, do you understand what I've asked you to do? I go, yeah. He goes, so we can't joke. We can't. He goes, you're not saying please have mercy because you're begging for your life. You're saying please have mercy and that he kills you soon rather than torture you. You're going to die anyway. So you'd rather be killed now than be disemboweled yeah. right i'm like okay and he goes i need you to cry i need snot i need tears i need all of it so he goes how much time do you need and i was like i don't know 30 seconds and he looked up at everybody then he goes everybody shut the fuck up for the next two minutes and he goes looks down he goes two minutes he goes now i'm not going to tell you how to get there but i'd think of the worst possible thing you can think of 
And I was like, immediately went to my daughter and bad things that can happen to her. Right. And I started trying to get there, but you know what? It didn't get me there. I did get to the crying point, but it's funny that as, as I was searching for something, it just all came over me once a flood of emotion. I was like, Jason Momoa is about to slip my throat (laughs) to kick off his new show. All these things about hockey and, you know, um, I don't want to use the word failure because I made the NHL, but not live up to expectations and all the chaos and all the bullshit and all the stories that are untrue and speculation and all of it that led me here and all that time and getting my degree, you know, and doing papers and not knowing where any of it would go. And now I'm sitting here with a second chance to be on a big stage. Like, and it's just like, who does this ever happen to? Like now it's like my first NHL game. I'm about to act in a major TV show and get into the union. This is nuts. And that it was almost like tears of, I started to go, I started on my, and then when, when a couple of tears came, then I knew it, then it was easy to fake because they're already rolling down my face. And then I was like, Oh, you know, and then I could do it. Please have mercy and do whatever you want. And the way it works is that once you have it once, because there's one camera that's right on my face, and once camera A has my reaction, now we go through the scene a bunch of times, but I've done the hard lifting. So yeah. then Brad's like, okay, good. Now I can just say it every time. Please have mercy. I, because my part's over. Now it's about Jason and it's about everybody else. So we got my part first, which I'm glad. It eased me into things. And Jason is from Des Moines, Iowa. knew how to play roller hockey. Came from I'd say blue collar, but, you know, borderline poor family and uh, really, really appreciates where he's from and, and where he is now and just took me under his wing. I taught him to play hockey and uh, he actually his, his personal assistant bailed for a couple of months. She had some trouble, trouble at home, I believe, like maybe a, a family member passing away or something. So he took me to Europe. He put me in a couple of movies. He put me back in season three in Frontier, changed my look a little bit. And uh, gave me a bunch of credits, got me some stunts, and really, it wouldn't have happened. It's not like Jason is my best friend. I talked to his stuntman again the other day, Kim Farty. We do we do speak once in a while. I, I respect his space, but Jason is the kind of guy that still visits Newfoundland here and there. Um, friends of mine, he flew up Gary Sexton to be his personal driver. He's really, you know, he, he's just a really, really down to earth guy. Now. One thing ended up leading to another. When I got back after the experience in Europe with Jason, which lasted two or three months, and we came back, now a bunch of shows ended up being here, like Hudson and Rex, which I'm on now. Uh, I was a villain in episode nine. I'm on there now as, a, what do you call it, a special forces guy, because my face is already burned. So anything that re- requires a mask. Um, and, you know, a couple of other shows, uh, re- local ones, caught. Um, a little dog and then you know i was telling this story on spitting chicklets and the guys heard it from from letter candy jared kiso's a big fan of spitting chicklets and i'm led to believe he knew a little bit about my career and that was it i got when i went on chicklets and i told the very story i just told you yeah um i got a phone call to be uh and i like letter candy i think it's really smartly written and i i just couldn't believe that they phoned. I thought it was a joke at first. And they're like, no, no, we want you to come up and play this character. I did one scene on Letter Kenny. It went viral again because it was, there was no Newfoundlander in it before. I don't think I knocked it out of the park as an actor. I'm just knowing how to speak as a, I know how to speak like this if I got to, right? Because I spoke like this when I was growing up. So it's really not that people are like, oh, bravo. What do you bring to the table? I'm like, fuck, I'm just talking like all my relatives. Bye. Right? Okay, so really, it was such a layup. And, uh, 
you know, not that doesn't happen in every actor's career. And I know it's similar, man. It's a similar world. The amount of players that put on their skates in minor hockey that actually end up skating one game in the NHL is like one in like fucking 30,000. Well, it's similar to like acting. I, I realize how lucky I, I've, I've gotten that way because for every actor out there that's in the union, there's not many that actually get to be a main character in a TV series. And if it all ended tomorrow, I would consider myself the luckiest man on the planet. So I figure I'm playing with house money now as far as shows go. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. That, that, well, you know, Terry's been great speaking to you for the last almost two hours now. And, uh, and we could, we could keep going for sure. A squid final comp before we let him go. He's probably got an acting gig tonight somewhere, maybe or a comedy show. I actually do. You're, I swear to God, I do have to go in tonight. I'm a, I'm a bad guy in a movie coming up. It's yet to be untitled. Stay tuned to my Instagram, Terry Ryan 2020. And, uh, you'll see it's a movie for lifetime. It's going to come out pretty soon. Wow. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. You've done everything. And, uh, can't seem to come out on top most of the time. I had a blast out there, by the way. Uh, Newfoundland's a wonderful province, wonderful people. They treat us like gods when we're there. And uh, I've always enjoyed going over there, whether it was minor hockey or coaching in the American League or whatever it might be. And uh, that three-game trip we had was was a blast. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime because, my friend, you can still snipe. People are paying to see Rick Five put the puck in the net. Let's be honest. And you still got that uh, wicked snapper from the slot that doesn't get old. No, it, it, it's still there. The, the problem yeah. is the legs aren't what they used to be. Uh, they don't have to be. It, guys like me carry the mail. You just got to get open in the offensive zone. That's it. I like that. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sir, I'm getting. I'm trying to get him to come and play with me. He passed on me. He, he's supposed to play with me earlier this year with one of my beer league games, but uh, he got uh, too many games. He had six games in two days, so we we gave him a pass. But we're gonna get out there one of these days, and I'll I'll set him up. Hey, I always got my gear when I'm in Ontario. Let me know. I, oh, absolutely. I, when are you here? I go up there for Shorzy uh, end of March, and I'm there till mid mid May at least. Oh okay. wow! Well, there's skates around. Well, listen, I'm going to get a hold of you. We're going to exchange books, so I'll, I'll send you a love note, you. and we'll. Well, listen, Terry. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'd love to have you back sometime and uh, just continue on. You got nothing but stories, and uh, you're quite a character. I'll tell you that. <laughs> thanks a lot for having me. I really mean it. It's an honor, and um, you know, I played, I played for the. Uh, St. John's Maple Leafs. I didn't. I wasn't under contact to, to Toronto, I but I did get up. So I saw the world from a Habs perspective and a Leafs perspective. I'm intrigued. And one of my best friends from Mount Pearl that took a lot of that journey with me, David Roper, is now one of the equipment managers of the Leafs. Uh, he's oh. been there for four years. So I really do. I know I played for the Habs, but I'm, I'm a rare person that cheers for both teams. Fantastic. Yeah, right. Okay, Terrell, you better hit your... Uh... Hit your mark tonight, and uh, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate being here. If you ever need me for anything else, just let me know, and uh, let's exchange uh, information to get that book up to you soon. Yeah, I'll send you a note tonight. Sounds good. Thanks, okay, boy. Great. Thanks, Derek. All right.